All right, Jerome Shai. I want to begin by thanking our, by thanking our sponsors. To thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Siva, Naftali, and Chavi Tilson. Merits Yisrael for dedicating all the Shirm and Drushos this month with thanks to Naftali's Chaber Benjamin Wolf introducing to the Daf. May Hashem bless us all to finish the Daf Yomi cycle together and celebrate with a Siyum together in Eretz Yisrael the Merits Hashem. To thank Baruch Meir and Rina Dubin for dedicating all the Shi'urim and Drushos this month. May Hashem continue to protect our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael. May all of our children remain safe and complete their year of learning with a deep connection to the land and to Hashem's Torah. To thank our Week of Learning sponsor, Mrs. Selma Wolf, for her foreshlima, for her grandson, Kobe Rothberg, Yaakov Zev Ben Tzivya Devora. And to thank one more sponsorship, to thank, to thank Chaim Lifshitz for dedicating the shir today in memory, in commemoration of the yard site of Freda Rachel Bas Shalom Benish. We hope that on the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Nisham will have an aliyah and the family a nechama. We also take the opportunity to go ahead and dedicate today's learning in the Zuchos of Ephraim Gordon, Hashem Yikom Demo Ephraim Ben Baruch, whose, yard, whose Shloshim is being observed today, the young man who was murdered in our community 30 days, a number of weeks ago. We hope that on the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Nishamas will have an aliyah and the families in the Chama. And also with that, let us begin. So today's daf is Nun Gimel 53, and we are picking up in Meretz Hashem at the Gemara on 52b, Nun Beis Min Beis. So a lot, a lot to do today in Meretz Hashem. So also with Bamish left off with the Gemara. So remember again, remember again, that the Gemara was, the Mishnah made mention to the entry into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, right? So remember, again, very quickly, we had a three-way machlokis as to how exactly the Kohen Gadol is entering in to the Beis HaMikdosh, or into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, I should say. Remember, he is coming in on the left-hand side. When he's facing the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the curtain, he's coming in on the left-hand side, which is the south. He's entering in the south, then hanging a right, going north entering into the second curtain on the northern side, and then, then the Mishnah said, then making another left, so therefore the curtain is on his left as he's walking in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, going ahead and making his way to the Aron, and then placing, placing the Machto together with the Kaf between the Bad and between the poles of the Aron. Says the Gemara, Maya Skinon, what are we talking about over here? And I will say what the Gemara is really asking over here is, which Beis HaMikdash is the Mishnah referring to? Because after all, the Mikdash Rishon, Mihavi Parach, as well says, we've established, in the first Beis HaMikdash, there was no curtain. Because in the first Beis HaMikdash, what was there? What was there? A wall. So there was no curtain in the first Beis HaMikdash. Elba Mikdash Sheni. Ah, so once you talk about the second Beis HaMikdash, what's the problem with that? So the Gemara says, Mihavi Aron. In the second Beis HaMikdash, the Ark was not there. The Aron wasn't there. After all, the Gemara says, Vatanya, we learned, Misha Nignaz Aron, Nignaz Emotes in Sanas Hamon, Utz Luchishaman Amishra, Umakla Shal Aron Shkedel Prachaha, the Argaz Sheshigru Plishtim Daron Eloke Yisrael. So the Gemara says, because when the Aron was hidden away, Together with the Aron, what was hidden away, the Tinsenas Haman, a jar of man, which was the flask of anointing oil used to anoint Davidic kings, the staff of Aaron, together with his almonds and flowers, that's remember the staff that was used in the aftermath of the rebellion of Korach to solidify Aaron Akoin's position as Queen Gadol. And interestingly enough, the chest 
of gold. So remember again, this is talking about in the beginning of Shmuel Aleph. Beginning of Shmuel Aleph, where the Navi discusses that the Jews went out to war with the Plishtim. Remember again, Chafni and Pinchas Shmuel's two sons go out to war. They die in war. The Aaron was taken captive by the Plishtim. And what happened? Wherever the Aaron went, there was a there was an incredible there was an incredible plague of hemorrhoids that went ahead and afflicted the people. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says that the Plishtim sent back the Aron, and together with the Aron, they also went ahead and sent back golden hemorrhoids. An interesting gift choice, but 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 again. The idea was a, a literally a, a, a box of these things, so they were treated. They were they were hidden together with the aron. So we'll say. So what the gemara is pointing out over here is that by the time the second base hamitzvah comes along, there was no aron, right? The aron was the aron was hidden away. To, the aron was hidden away. So how could the mishnah make reference? So remember again. The Mishnah can't be referring to the first base Hamikdash. Why? Because again, the first base Hamikdash, there was not a curtain, there was a wall. Can't be referring to the second base Hamikdash because in the second base Hamikdash, ultimately what? There was no Aron. So what's going on over here? So just pauses for a second. Umi Gonzo, by the way, who, who hid away the Aron? Right? Who, who made that decision? But this is actually a very dramatic story. Yoshio Gonzo. So King Yoshiyahu, King Yoshiyahu decided to go ahead and hide away the Aron towards the end of the first temple era. And the reason for that we'll say is as follows. Yoshio was a, was a tzaddik. He was a righteous king. But unfortunately, again, his predecessors had introduced so much, so much idolatry and bloodshed into, into, into Eretz Yisrael that they had just corrupted everything. So they found a safer Torah in the Azara. They had found the Sefer Torah in the courtyard that was, that was kept in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash that had not been seen for years beforehand. And when they opened up the Torah, what happened? So what happened? When they opened up this Sefer Torah, so they went ahead and they found it wound to the section of the Tochacha. And in the Tochacha it says that Hashem will take your king Hashem will lead you and your king to a foreign land. Yoshio took that as an omen from the Ribbono Shalom that they were going to be expelled from Eretz Yisrael. So at this point in time, what happens? Ahmad the Gonzo. Yoshio decides, you know what? If we go to Galus, if we go to Galus, that we'll, we'll deal with that, but we can't allow the Aron to be taken. Because if the Aron is taken, then Chas Shalom, there's the real possibility that it may not be returned. So what happens? Amar Begonzo. So Yoshio goes ahead and hides away the Aron. So, so literally, Yoshio instructs the Levim and he tells them, place the Aron in the home that Shlomo, the son of David, built. Now Rashi points out over here, at this point in time, the Aron was already in the Beis HaMikdash. So obviously when Yoshio says, place the Aron in the home that David built, that Shlomo built, excuse me, he's not referring to the Beis HaMikdash proper, he must be referring to something else. What was he referring to? So the Gemara in the sense he was referring to a subterranean chamber that Shlomo built together with the Beis HaMikdash. The Shlomo understood 
either he understood there was going to be a, a korban or he, he planned for the, poten- for the potential of a korban. And therefore, again, they erected or they created a subterranean chamber. So Yoshio commanded that the Aron be hidden in the subterranean chamber so that it should not be taken out to, to Golos. So the Gemara says, he says to Levim, Ein lochem masa b'kasef. You, you are no longer, he says to Levim, you no longer have any responsibility to transport things by shoulder. Because remember again, that's how the Levim would hold the Aron. You no longer have anything to transport. The Aron is going to be hidden. So that is the story, that is the story of the hiding away, right? Of the storage of the Aron. King Yoshio commands that the Aron be hidden in the subterranean chamber underneath the Beis HaMikdosh. And that is, I just want to point out, this already happens, as I just mentioned, at the end of Bayes Rishon. So already at the end of the first temple era, the, the Aron is hidden away. So obviously by the time they come back for the second Beis HaMikdosh, they did not take the Aron out. There's a whole discussion why they didn't take the Aron out, why potentially they didn't make a new Aron. Okay, not, not our topic for today. The Gemara says, remember, now in the, in the Mishnah, we quoted over here the list that spoke about all of the other items which were hidden away together with the Aron. And the Gemara, remember again, it's in Senes Hamon, it's Luchis, right? The, the, the flask of oil, all of these things. So the Gemara says, how do we know that all of these things were hidden together away with the Mun? So, sorry, with the Aron, because the Gemara makes Xer Shava. The Gemara says, the Gemara says, Asya Shama Shama, Asya Doros Doros, Asya Mishmeres Mishmeres. So we'll say we make a Xer Shava, and the Xer Shava helps us to understand that just like the Aron was hidden away, so too all of these other items were hidden away together with the Aron. Good. So we'll say, so back to our original question. So what is the Mishnah talking about? So right, if there's no, if it's not the Mikdash Rishon, because there's discussion of a curtain, and how could it be Mikdash Sheni, because there is discussion of an Aron, so what's going on over here? To which the Gemara says, you're right, the Olam B'Mikdash Sheni. In reality, we're talking about the second Beis HaMikdash, Umayhi Giyala Aron, and what does it mean when it says that the Kohen Gadol got to the Aron? Makom Aron. It means, say, amazingly enough, the Mishnah is describing the second temple, where there was no Aron. So what does it mean when the Mishnah says that the Kohen Gadol got to the place of the Aron? Or I should say he got to the Aron. It means the place which the Aron occupied. When there was an Aron, he stood in the very place that the Aron was. We'll, we'll give a little bit more specificity to this in just a moment. I, but it says that he would place the Machta, he would place the fire pan, the, right, the shovel with the coals, in between the two poles of the Aron, which also sounds like he's putting it on the poles of the Aron, to which the Gemara says, In the area that would have been in between the two poles of the Aron. So we'll say a very dramatic Gemara, that in the second temple era, the Kohen Gadol is going into a Kodesh HaKadoshim, that does not have an Aron, that does not have an Ark. And when he does the Avod, as much as the Mishnah describes the placement of the Ketoros vis-a-vis the Ark. And it's not just the Ketoros, by the way. It's going to be also the sprinkling of the Dam. Everything is described in its relationship to the Aron. In the second base Hamikdash era, there was no actual Aron. So the Kohen Gadol would do the that He would place the Ketoros in the area, right? He would walk to the area where the Aron was situated. 
he would sprinkle the blood in the area where the Aaron, Aaron would have been situated. But the Aaron itself was not there. Dramatic Gemara. The Gemara says, Tana, Kimanda Mertzobro. So also remember again, the Mishnah said that when the coin God will get to the, when he does the Kitores, he, he piles. Sobra means to pile the Kitores on the coals. So what's an interesting machlokis. Tani chada sobra pnima shi chutzalo. Betanya idaf sobra chutzalo shi pnima. So here's what's interesting. When we speak about piling, really what was happening over here was that the coin goes, so if you could imagine, he places the fire pan down, so the machta is placed down. He now has the handful of ketores. So we'll say what happens is the coin Godel goes ahead and kind of piles the ketores, but, but piles it by, by, by making a line. So what he does is he doesn't dump all of the ketores in one place. Instead, he kind of makes a line and slowly drops the ketores on the coals. There's a machlokis how he does that. Does he start what we call panima shi chutzalo? Does he start closer to the aron, further from himself? and then make his way towards himself, dropping the Ketores like that? Or does he start closer to himself and then ultimately again work his way to the Aron, dropping the Ketores like that? So the Gemara says, Amr Abayi Abayi says, How he went ahead and placed the Ketores on the coals. And Abayi said, it would appear that it makes most sense that what? That he would do what's called Panima Shi which means start, right, start further away, start further away, and make your way towards yourself. Why? See, the Gemara says, Disnan Malamdin also, because when we teach the Kohen Gadol, the Kitores service, they would say to him, Hizoyer, top of Nun Gimel, Hizoyer Shalot Haschel Mipanecha, Shema Tichva. They would say to him, be careful, don't start the Kitores close to you and make your way towards the Aaron. Why? What could happen? You'll get burned. Why would you get burned? Because let's remember again, as soon as, as soon as he drops the Ketores, it produces smoke. So that smoke could be very hot. So therefore the Gemara says it makes most, most sense that he would start, he would start kind of dispensing the handful of Ketores on the coals furthest away from him, right? Which is essentially next to the Aron and go ahead and make his way towards him. Incredible. Tan Rabbanon. So the Gemara says, quoting the Pasik, that the Pasik says, you shall place the Ketores on the fire before God. What do we learn from that? It means that you're not supposed to put the Ketores on the fire outside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Rather, again, the Ketores must be placed on the coals where? And what does Lifnei Hashem mean? Before Hashem in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. The Gemara says, Lahotzi mi liban shal tztukin, sha'omrim yitakin mi bachotz v'ikanes. Because I will say, this comes to dispel the notion of the tztukim. We've seen this already a number of times. Because what did the tztukim say? The tztukim held that halacha lamaisa, you were really supposed to place the Ketores on the coals outside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim and walk into the Kodesh HaKadoshim with the Ketores already on the coals. So the Gemara says, "My darish, because what do the tztukim darshin?" So kiba anon eira'e ala kapores. Because what say the pasuk says, "With a cloud, which was referring to the cloud of the kitores, I will be seen al hakapores when you come to the lid of the aron melamed sheyitakim mibachutz v'ikanes." So we'll say, interestingly enough, the way that tztukim interpret the pasuk is, by the time you come in to meet God in the kodesh hakadoshim, there must already be the cloud of the kitores. 
That's how the Gemara, that's how the Tzdukim understood the Pasuk. So said, this is one of the most fundamental machloks in between the Tzdukim and the Prushim, ultimately, again, by the, by the Yom Kippur service. The Tzdukim believing that the Ketores had to be placed on the coals outside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and that the coin goes in with the cloud of Ketores. And again, the, the Rabbanim believing that, no, you put the, kol, you put the Ketores on the coals inside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So the Chacham, the Chacham said to the Tzdukim, Aye, but the Rabbanim said to the Tzdukim, but the Pasuk says, you shall place the Ketores on the fire, lefnei Hashem, before God, right? which indicates to us that the Ketores must be placed on the fire before, on the fire in front of God, in front of God, meaning the Kodesh HaKadoshim, to which the Gemara says, Ultimately, again, but then the Tzdukim responded, but what do you do with the Pasuk that says, because with the cloud I will be seen on the Kapores, Malamed, Shenosin Bamayla Ashan. So we'll say, the Rabbanim said, Chazal said, that no, 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 that Pasuk of Ki Ba'anan Era'el La Kapores, that you, the Tzdukim, are using to prove that you have to put the Ketores on the coals before you enter into the Mikdash, is actually teaching us something different. It's teaching us that you have to create a cloud of Ketores. And how do you create the cloud of Ketores? Also, you've seen this with a special ingredient, a special herb called Ma'ala Ashan. Again, we've seen this before when we were speaking about the Avatinas family and their unwillingness to share the secret, the secret, uh, what's the word? The secret um, formula. formula, thank you. The secret formula to the, uh, to the Ketores. So interestingly enough, one of, one of the most unique pieces of the Ketores was this Ma'ala Ashan was this herb that allowed the smoke to ascend in a straight pillar. So the Gemara says, the, the Rabbanim understood that when the Pasuk says, Ki ba'anan kapores, you have to make an anan, you have to make a cloud. And how do you make a cloud of smoke? Ultimately, the Gemara explains through the Ma'ala Ashan. So the Gemara says, How do you know that you have to place Ma'ala Ashan in the Ketores? Because the Pasuk says that ultimately, again, the cloud of the Ketores will cover the Kaporos, will cover the lid of the Aron. You learn from here that if you did not include oh, or we'll say for that matter, you left out any ingredient from the Ketores. In other words, let's say you didn't put in Ma'ala Ashan or you left out some other ingredient, Chayiv Misa. I will say that one is Chayiv Misa for any omission from the Ketores. I says the Gemara of the Seifuklei, the Kama'ayil Birekanis, I will say, if you're leaving out the Ma'ala Ashan or anything else for that matter from the Ketores, isn't there another problem? I will say, what's that problem? It's what's called Biarekanis, which means an empty entry, which means, I will say, you're not allowed to come into the Kodesh HaKadoshim without everything you need. You must be prepared with books and materials, right? When you go ahead and you come into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and if you come in empty-handed or you come in deficient, that in and of itself is a Chiyiv Misa. What's the case? So I'm just trying to figure out a case where you could be coming in deficient, right? Ultimately, again, without a chi of Misa. So the Gemara says, mm-hmm. The case should be where you were a shogeg about, about entering. You thought that it wasn't usher to enter into the Mikdash deficient. 
but you were amazed in that you knew the Kitoras was deficient. So there, in that kind of case, it wouldn't be a chiyid misra. It could even be you were amazed both about the entry and about the Kitoras. The case could be where you're entering with two batches of Kitoras. One was complete, one was deficient. And in that case, So for, for entry, you're not going to be chayiv. Why? Because one of the Kitoras is complete. But you will be high for the Ketoros. Why? Because you are offering at least one batch of deficient Ketoros. So we going back for just a moment. And how do you know that we use Ma'ala Ashan? Right? How do I know that Ma'ala Ashan is one of the necessary ingredients in the Ketoros? Tamud Lomar, the Chisa. The Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, it shall cover. I, the Gemara says, Kra, you're coming to bring a Pasuk to support another Pasuk. I'm Rabbi Yosef, this is what it means to say. I only know that you could use the leaf of the Ma'ala Ashan. I don't know that you could even use the root of the Ma'ala Ashan plant. Actually, just the opposite is true. Disanya, Nasan ba eker ma'ala ashan, when you put in the root of the ma'ala ashan plant, hayimitame va ola kimakel achmagilish mekora, kevan shegilish mekora, nemashmish viorid bixolim achinis bali achinis mali habayis ashan, shinemar va bayis yimali ashan. I will say this is incredible. The Brysa says that when you would include the root of the ma'ala ashan plant, well, remember again, the Gemara doesn't define what plant is the Ma'ala Ashan plant. Why not? Why not? It was a closely guarded secret what the Ma'ala Ashan plant was. I will say, listen to what happens when you introduce the Ma'ala Ashan plant. The Ma'ala Ashan plant caused the smoke to rise in a straight column. And then what would happen? It would rise in a straight column, it would hit the rooftop, and then it would dissipate evenly over the rooftop and come down over the walls, or come down, come down, down the walls, and then slowly fill in the room with smoke. So I'll say, pretty incredible. That was the power. Obviously, there must have been some miraculous intervention in this as well. I don't know that any plant by itself could go ahead and simply do that. But Lamai said, go up in a straight column, hit the, wall, hit the roof, dissipate over the roof, then come down evenly over the walls, then fill in the room with smoke. So the Gemara says, El Amra Abai Hachli Kamar. Rather, Abai said, this was a third white line, Nun Gimel Amad Beis 53a. So Abai says, like this, Hachli Kamar, Eimli Ela Iker Ma'ala Ashan. Ala Ala Ma'ala Ashan So Abai says, just the opposite. I only know that you could use the root of the Ma'ala Ashan plant. But how do I know that you could even use a leaf, which is the non-primary part of the Ma'ala Ashan plant? Ta'amul Amar Bechisa. Therefore, the Paz says, Bechisa shall cover. As long as you're using some part of the Ma'ala Ashan plant, you're good to go. Sheisha summer, ainly ella ohel moed shiva minbar shilo base obes. Ainly ella ohel moed shiva minbar. So we'll say. So remember again. Rav Sheisha says, I only know this obligation as it applies to the mishkan in the desert. Because we'll say at the end of the day, at the end of the day. So remember again, these psukim are this psukim by Yom Kippur and these halachos were stated by the mishkan. Right, we stated by the Mishkan, we kind of automatically applied them to the Beis Hamikdash. But the Gemara says, one second, how do you know that that which was stated, vis-a-vis the Mishkan in the desert, also applies, also applies to Shiloh, which is where the Mishkan was housed for three hundred and sixty-nine years, Ubeis Olamim, and to the Beis Hamikdash, Tamalamar Vechisa. 
So we'll say ultimately again, the pasuk says v'chisa, an additional word that will cover. So that additional word teaches us that ultimately again, wherever wherever there is an Yom Kippur service, halacha lemaisa, halacha lemaisa, use the ma'ala ashan, or you, you, in general the halacha supply. I the gemara says hi me v'chein yaseli olamoid hashochein itam nafka. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 there's a simpler limud. But say, what does it say? This is what you shall do in the Oamoid. Which resides with Cloud Yisrael. So what Shavuot said means, the Gemara says, whichever structure is the structure which provides for the residence of the Ribbono Shal Olam within the midst of Am Yisrael, that structure is governed by these halachos. Which of course would include the Mishkan, which of course includes the Mishkan and right, the Mishkan in the desert, the Mishkan and Shil, the Beis Hamikdash. So the Gemara says, "Al Haki Kamar, Eini Ela Biyom Kipurim." So what's what the Gemara meant to say was like this: I only know that you use Ma'ala Ashan Yom Kippur. How do I know that you even use Ma'ala Ashan in everyday Kitores? Talmud Lomar Vechisa. Therefore, the pasuk says that the Kitores must create a cloud. Ravashi says in reality. One is to teach me that ma'ala ashan is a mitzvah, and one is to teach me that ma'ala is a mitzvah, but it's la'akev. La'akev also means what? That if you didn't do it, if you didn't do it, it prevents the Torah service, or if you didn't add it, if you didn't use it, it prevents the Torah service from being effective. Rava Amar, chad la'onish v'chad la'ashara. Rava says one is to teach you the punishment that if you don't add in all the ingredients, including ma'ala ashan, into Torah says a chiv misa, and one is the warning. So you have many, you have many lavin that work like this, where there is an ashara, a warning, and then a punishment, an onesh. Tanya Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar Omer, velo yamos onesh. The pasuk says, and if the coin gadol comes in with the ketores, he will not die. That's the onesh. Ki be'anan because I will only be seen with the cloud of the ketores. I, you could only enter into the kodesh kadosh with the cloud of ketores. Ashara. That's the warning. You might have thought that each of these things, were, that both of these things, the Onesh and the Azhara, were stated before the death of Aaron's sons. And I remember again, the Gemara is presupposing now that Aaron's sons died. Why? Because of what service? Kitores. That's the Gemara's presupposing. You might have thought that ultimately, again, both the Azhara and the Onesh we're both said after the death of Aaron's two sons, to which the Gemara says, "Tamul Omar ki ba'anon ira'al akapores hakitzad as harakodem misa va'onesh acher misa." But say, interestingly enough, the warning regarding deficient kitores was said before the death of Aaron's two sons, and the punishment regarding deficient or abnormal kitores was said after the death of Aaron's two sons. My Talmuda, what exactly is the limud? Because the Pasuk says, I shall, says, I shall only be seen with the cloud of the Ketores, and it was not yet time for the Ketores to be offered. So that's the case. Why were Aaron's sons punished? So I'll say, so remember again, like I mentioned before, when the, Gemara, when the Gemara invokes the memory of Aaron's sons, now the Gemara's precept, remember, what does the Torah say? when it comes to the infraction of Aaron's sons, that what do they do? What do they do? Hekrivo Eish Zara. So the Gemara presupposes that Eish Zara was a problem with the Ketores. The problem just is that the Psukim regarding Ketores don't seem to align well with the story. 
which then leads the Gemara to go ahead and advance another narrative. Ultimately, again, why were Aaron's sons punished? I will say this is incredible. Kidisanya, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Aaron Al-Shuhoru Halacha Moshe Rabban. I will say, wow, wow. What did Bnei Aaron do? They paskind halacha in the presence of their Rebbe. They paskind halacha in the presence of their Rebbe. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu was their, their uncle. Moshe was their Rebbe. And they paskind halacha in his presence. What did they paskind? Maidrosh. V'nasnu b'nei Aaron ha-koin eish So we'll say ultimately again, the Pasuk says that the sons of Aaron will place an eish on the Mizbeach. Afa pisha eish yoredes min Mitzvah lahavi minahediot. Even though there is a fire, right? Remember again, one of the miracles of the Mishkan and later on in the base of Mikdash is that a fire came down from the heavens. It was a constant fire on the Mizbeach Hachitz, on the outer altar. Nevertheless, there is still a mitzvah to kindle a man made fire. So they paskin this halacha in the presence of Moshe, their Rabbi. Now, I will say, were they correct? Were they correct? Yes. Brothers, the, 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 the ruling was not, was not erroneous. Right, the ruling was absolutely unequivocally correct. Even though there is a fire that comes down from Shemayim, there is an obligation to kindle a man, a man-made fire. What was their mistake? Not in the psak, but rather what? In the manner in which it was delivered. They paskind halach in front of their Rebbe, and therefore they died. And both said that's why the Torah says that they were makrid ish zara. Ish zara says you know, it's not a reference to Kitores. What's the alien fire? Is that they paskin regarding the fire of the outer Mizbeach, that even though a fire came down from Hashem, he still have to kindle a man-made fire. So they were right. They were correct. And they were correct, but they were wrong in ultimately, again, how they delivered the information. Which gives us two incredible lessons, if you think about it. Number one is sometimes you could be right. You could be right in what you're saying and what you're doing but fundamentally wrong in the way you are delivering the message, which I will say is maisim b'chol yom, right? I want to say something to someone, I'm 100% correct in what I'm saying, but the words I use, the tone I use, the context in which I deliver the, the message is just so profoundly wrong. So, right, it's incredible, it's tragic. Nadav and Aviv are correct, but they deliver the information in a dramatically wrong way. You'll ask yourself, I understand you're not supposed to pass an aloha in front of your Rebbe, because at the end of the day, that's considered to be a slight to the honor of the Rebbe, which is the honor of Kavra Torah. Why, why such a significant death? Well, so you have to understand something. Remember that when it came to Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron and Aaron's sons, they were teaching Klal Yisrael the concept of Mesorah. And what does Mesorah mean? Moshe Kiba Torah Misinai, Umasra Yoshua, Yoshua the Zikanim, Zikanim the Nevi'im. There's a progression, and there, and there is a respect for the transmission of Torah. And for the sons of Aaron to go ahead and paskin halacha in the presence of their Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu, was a fundamental disruption to the Mesorah. And once you chas v'shalom disrupt the Mesorah of Klav Yisrael, it's kek muzik, right? It, 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 it has the ability to be a tragedy of epic proportions. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch unfortunately, had to punish them in such a dramatic and overwhelming way. Incredible. So also, let's go weiter. Yatsu balo derech kinisasa. So also, remember again, we're jumping a little bit, although we'll jump back to the Kodesh HaKadosh just a bit, but now, we're quoting the Mishnah that says that when the Kohen Gadol would leave the Kodesh HaKadosh how would he leave? He would leave the way he came in, which also meant he would walk out backwards. 
he would not turn his back to the to the Aron. Instead, he would walk out facing facing the Aron and just walk out backwards. Says the Gemara, From where do we know this? the quick has to walk out backwards. Shlomo came to the Bama that was in Givon, Yerushalayim. Now, both sides, Givon is another city. Remember, again, before Shlomo built the base of Mikdash, the, what we call the Bama Gidola, the central altar for communal service, was in a place called Givon, which was a distance from Yerushalayim. So the Pasuk says that Shlomo came to the Bama that was in Givon, Yerushalayim. What does that mean? There is no Givon, Yerushalayim. There is Givon, and there's Yerushalayim. V'chi ma'inyon givon eitzel Yerushalayim. Ela makish yitzi'asso mi'givon v'yerushalayim. Lebi'asso mi'yerushalayim v'givon. Rather, the Navi is equating, is equating Shlomo's departure from Givon to go to Yerushalayim to his entry from Lebi'asso mi'yerushalayim v'givon. Watch this. Ma'bi'asso mi'yerushalayim v'givon. I will say, just like when Shlomo was leaving Yerushalayim and coming to Givon, Panav Klape Bama, right? The say when Shlomo entered Givon, what was his posture? He was facing the Bama, right? He was facing the Bama. So the Gemara says, Af Yitzi Aso Mi Givon, the Yushalayim, Panav Klape Bama. So the say when he would leave Givon and go to Yushalayim, he was what? Facing the Bama. So we learned from Shlomo HaMelech, when Shlomo would take leave of the Bama, he would not turn his back to the Bama. Instead, what would he do? He would remain facing and back out. So we'll say it's interesting that what's really fascinating about this is what? Is we're learning out the Kohen Gadol's practice, not from the Chumash, which is very interesting. This particular idea of not turning your back on some, something holy, it's actually learned out from Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo HaMelech would take leave of the Bama, in Givon, he would not turn his back, rather he would back out facing the Bama. So the Gemara says, quite beautiful. So I'll say, and this was true in general, whenever a coin was doing the avoda, or a levi, or a levi was doing his avoda, Duchanan literally means, I'll say, standing on the steps singing Shira. Whenever anybody was doing their avoda, or Yisrava Ma'amadon, remember again, we'll discuss there were Ma'amados, which were groups of Yisraelim, who were present in the Mikdash or later on present in different cities to go ahead and represent Klali for the Karbanos Sibor. Kishen Iftarim, when these individuals would take leave, they wouldn't just turn their back and walk out. But ultimately, again, I will say now, Mitzadadin literally means what? Mitzadadin means what? Turn sideways. See, I will say, what, 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 I don't understand. Is it sideways or backwards? Like, which, which, which one is it? So we'll say, what does it depend on? It kind of depends where you are, right? So in other words, there are some times where you could walk backwards, and other times you're walking backwards actually becomes like a falling hazard. So, right, not, not, nothing, nothing ruins the sanctity of the moment like falling down. Right? So I'll say, so, so, so sometimes you had to, sometimes you could back out, or sometimes you would kind of just turn sideways. Either way, the common denominator is what? What don't you do? What don't you do? You don't turn your back. Now, what I want to point out is something really fascinating about this. Like, what is that? What is that? What is, what is this notion of, of back out? Well, so you see this today. You know, Halavai, Obizoch, Amir, Sashem, to be able to go and to, to visit Eretz Yisrael soon. 
Pacino's a Mirza Shalom Bizoch, a Mirza Shalom to go and live in Eretz Yisrael soon. The rest of us, at least for now, will be Zohar Merz Hashem to visit Eretz Yisrael soon. And you know, when you go to the Kosel, so we still, we still practice this to this very day. You don't just turn your back and walk out, but rather you go ahead and you back out, right? You back away from the Kosel. We'll say, well, what's, what's the Pshat? See, here's what's interesting, is the Shaila is when you engage in meaningful spiritual activity. So at the end of the day, is that just simply an episodic event amongst other episodic events. Like, you know, what, what, what did you do today? Going Godel, what did you do today? Ah, I, I, I offered Kitores, I ate lunch, I played a round of golf, right? I, I went and spent time with the grandkids. Like, what, 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 what did you do today? So, is, is, are the Dvarim Shebek Dusha in life just another thing we do? And I come and go, right? So, I, I go ahead and I go to the grocery store. So, no, no one backs out of Seven Mile with their face looking, you know, Clape, clape the, right? Clape the chitzin. Ah, oh, oh, seven mile. I mean, you know, some people relate to food like that. That's, that's for sure, right? But, but, but Lamaisa, why? Because it's just another thing on my to-do list for today. In other words, it's not special. It's not special. It's not meaningful. It's just another thing that has to get done. So how do you distinguish between things that have to get done and things that are of real importance and real meaning? And the nafkamina is, when something just has to get done, you get it done, and what? And what? Move on. Move on, because those stuff has to get done. When something is much more meaningful, you take leave of it in a more dramatic way. I recognize that I had the opportunity to do something dramatic. I know that I can't stay here forever, but I'm withdrawing slowly. How you leave something, how you leave something, is really reflective of how you feel about that thing. I both say that's why even, you know, it's a little bit more complicated during weekday mornings, but you know, even how we take leave of shul, right? How a person takes leave of shul, how a person takes leave of davening, is ref- how you take leave of anything is reflective about how you feel about that particular thing. That's what I'm saying. Weekday davening might not be the best example of this because unfortunately, again, we have to run in all different directions. But think about this on Shabbos or other times, how you take leave of something really ultimately is representative of how you feel about it, right? How you leave your... So think about this, how you leave your house. Person leaves their house and their family is there. So, you know, what happens? Are you already mid-phone call by the time you've left the house and you're just like miming goodbyes to people, right? Or, or, and if that case, then being home, it's just another stop in the day. You've just happened to fit in home after Seven Mile Market. Or does a person kind of walk out in a way which shows this is such an acre of my life. I just have to go somewhere else. I just have to be, I can't stay here forever. The Kohen Gadol also can't stay in the Kodesh HaKadoshim forever. He's got to make his way out. But how you take leave of something is representative about how you feel about it. I'm also similarly again, Talmid Haniftar So too, when a Talmud takes leave of his Rebbe. A Talmud takes leave of his Rebbe. Lo zir well, say this is incredible. When I take leave of my Rebbe, I don't just turn my back and walk out. Rather, I turn sideways a little bit and I walk out like that, right? Why? Same idea. Is this just another interaction? It's just, hey, what's up? Right? Hey, what's up? Just, just, just an, another interaction amongst a day of social interactions. Okay, this person just happens to be my Rebbe, fine. Or is it, no, th- this interaction is different. 
This is a different kind. When I, when I interact with my Rebbe, when I interact with the person who teaches me Torah, it's a different kind of interaction. Am I staying with him the whole day? So to be honest, I don't want to stay with my Rebbe the whole day. And my Rebbe doesn't want to stay with me the whole day. And that's okay. That's okay. We all, we, we, right? we, we've, we've all got things to do. But how I take leave of that interaction is so dramatic. So the Gemara says, Kiha, the Gemara tells some great stories. El Kiha, Rabbi Lazar, Kat Hava Mithra Minate Rabbi Yochanan. I'll say when Rabbi Lazar take leave of Rabbi Yochanan. Kat Hava, so I'll say this is, Kat Hava Bay Rabbi Yochanan Le Saguye. When Rabbi Yochanan would leave, Hava Gochin Kai Rabbi Lazar Adduchtei. So I'll say when Rabbi Yochanan would have to leave, Rabbi Lazar would bow. He would bow in place until he could no longer see Rabbi Yochanan. They can't have a by Rabbi Lazar the saguye. And Rabbi Lazar, when Rabbi Lazar had to take leave, have a kai azila achori ad the mechsem in Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Lazar would walk backwards away from his Rebbe Rabbi Yochanan until he could no longer see him. So again, if his Rebbe had to leave, the Talmud would bow until his Rebbe was out, was out of sight. And if the Talmud had to leave, then ultimately, again, he would walk backwards until he couldn't see his Rebbe. But see, listen to this story. Rava, kat hava miftar minei Rabbi Yosef. Rava, when he would take leave of his Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef, hava azul la'achore, ad deminagfon kare umistavin askufsa debe Rabbi Yosef dama. Well, listen to this. Rava, when he would take leave of his Rebbe, he would go and he would walk backwards until he, wouldn't, until he, until he wasn't able to see his Rebbe. And what ended up happening is he would end up bruising his legs and cutting himself because he did not see where he was going until there was blood all over the doorway of Rav Yosef. So the Gemara says, Amad Beis, Amr Leil Rav Yosef, Ha'achi Avid Rava. So I've also listened to this, remember, Rav Yosef was blind. The Gemara says, Rav Yosef, the Gemara calls him Saginar, he was blind. So they told Rav Yosef about this incredible behavior of Rava. So the Gemara says, Haki Abba Rabbit, Amrlay, and Rav Yosef said, Amrlay, Yehei Rava ditarum reshech akula karcha. It should be the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that Rava should become the Rav of the entire city. Now what does one thing have to do with the other, walking back to the Rav of the entire city? What Rava was obviously demonstrating was an incredible Kavanah Torah. Right, remember again, the respect that one gives the Rabbi, the respect that one gives the Talmud Chacham, it's not simply because I like the individual, and I hopefully I like the individual as well, it's because the individual represents Torah. And when, I'm, when I respect the Talmud Chacham, when the, in this case, when Rabbi respected Rabbi Yosef, he was respecting the Torah. So what Rabbi Yosef said, someone who demonstrates such covet and chashivos ha-Torah is fit to lead and ultimately again will be a good leader. So Rav Hashem say, give him the bracha that Rav Hashem become the Rav of the city. I'm Rav Zanji, I'm Rav Yoshua ben Levi. So we'll say, so interestingly enough, once we spoke about taking leave in a deferential manner, right, that when I take leave of my Rebbe, I don't just turn my back and walk away, rather I back away. I back away, or at least, or at least if I'm not actually walking backwards, what am I doing? What am I doing? Sideways, right? Right, mitzadeh, sideways. So also listen to this. The Gemara applies this to a different context. Hamisvalel, when you dive in Shmona Esrei, Tzarech she'af siyos shalosh psiyos la'achorav, you have to take three steps back. At the end of Shmona Esrei, v'achakach yitain shalom. And after you finish Shmona Esrei, after you take your three steps back, you give shalom. And also what does that mean? That's what it means when it says giving shalom. You give shalom. Both say, now again, understand what's happening over here. Why do I need the three steps back? Because I will say, once again, 
What do the three steps back represent? They represent a recognition that I have been in the presence of the Ribbono Shalom and have been engaging in a dialogue directly with Hashem. They see us, think about this just a moment. If you just say, I'm boom, and then I'm done, I walk away, then that's not necessarily indicative that I was standing before anyone. But when I take three steps back at the end of Shemona Esrei, I'm saying, I'm demonstrating, I was just in the presence of the king. Can I stay in the presence of the king the whole day? Well, of course, the goal is in some level, yes, right? Shibisi Hashem the Summit. The goal is to remain in the presence of the king. But in that direct dialogical connection, which is Shemona Esrei, you can't remain in that state of connection the entire day. But I take three steps back facing the Shechina. I don't just turn around and walk away. I'm turning away from my Rebbe, from the Ribbon Shalom. I'm turning, I'm, I'm taking three steps back facing him leaving his presence in Abba way. So So the Gemara says, Hasam says, another interesting halacha. Rav Mordechai says, when you take your three steps back, you should remain there for a little while. Right? For a little while. You should sit there for a little while. So I'll say, so in general, what does that mean? <laughs> How long is, is, is a little while? So we've seen this in Mesechah's Brachas. The Gemara says, it's the amount of time that it walks, that it takes to walk Daladamas. The amount of time that it takes to walk six feet. I don't know how long does it take to walk six feet. Uh, three seconds, right? Whatever it is. So the point over here is you take three steps back, you pause. You pause, you remain in place for a little bit of time before you conclude your Shemona Esrei. Mashal the Talmud Hanifter. I will say first, we'll say first wide line. This is a mashal. This can be comparable to a Talmud who's taking leave of his Rabbi. Imchozel Alter. If the Talmud just leaves, or if he just leaves and comes back immediately. Doma lekelev sheshav al keo. He's like a dog that comes back to his vomit. That's a pretty strong statement. Now, now what, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean? So we'll say, remember again, what the Gemara is saying is like this. Two pieces over here. Piece number one is that when Shemona Esri is over, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? Three steps back. What does the three steps back represent? I rec- a recognition. I was in the presence of Hashem. Now I'm taking leave of the Ribbon Shalom and I'm backing out backwards like we saw before. Then what Rav Mordechai introduces is when you take your three steps back, remain in place for a little bit. Remain in place for a little bit. Why? Because he says if you just take three steps back, three steps forward, then you're like a dog returning to your vomit. Now, we'll say, now what, what does that mean? You see, if I just take three steps back and three steps forward and there's no, there's no, there's no pause, then everything just looks mechanical and with a lack of thought. Right? I'm, I'm moving here, I'm moving there. The idea is, when I take three steps back, I'm taking leave of the Ribbon HaShalolom. The pause, the pause, shows that ultimately I recognize what it is that I'm doing. And then the three steps forward represents a reintegration into the rest of my day. But if you just move backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards, and everything is just happening in rapid succession, it looks nonsensical. Just like a dog going back to consume its vomit doesn't make any sense as a nonsensical activity. So to again, three steps forward, three steps back without pausing, without thought, is nonsensical as well. Mosh, the Gemara says, that supports this, when you daven, when you finish davening, you have to take three steps back when you conclude davening. And after you go and you take your three steps back, that's when you go ahead and you give shalom. Oseh shalom, mov, so on and so forth. Ve'im lo'asakein. It's actually a very dramatic statement. And if you did not do this, ra'u'i lo shalom hispalo. 
Ultimately, again, it would have been better had you not davened. Which was, if you think about it, is such a dramatic statement, right? If you don't take your three steps back and you don't pause and you don't give shalom, it would have been better that you don't daven. It should say, reflects Chazal's general view that mechanistic behavioral prayer doesn't have that much value. Tefillah is a dialogical connection with the Rebbein Tefillah is a relationship. Tefillah is a conversation. And if it just becomes something mechanical, Chazal said, it doesn't really mean all that much. It doesn't really mean... Now, say, now I want to point out, there are other philosophies regarding prayer that may disagree with this a little bit, that even mechanistic tefillah is incredibly powerful. Why? Because it will say sometimes, even if you don't feel it, there is a mila in showing up, right? There's a mila in showing up. In fact, I would venture to say, I know very few people who have kavana three times a day in Shemona Esrei. Real, real, real kavana three times, and I include myself in that as people who don't have kavana three times a day in Shemona Esrei. But yet we do it. Because I will say there is a mila to showing up. There's something to be said by being vested in a relationship and saying, Kodesh Baruch Hu, you know what? I'm not totally feeling it today, but I'm here. But I'm here. And I will say that is profound because think about it. In any, in any relationship, right? I will say in any single relationship, is a person always present? Of course, everybody has to nod their head. Yes, of course, of course. I'm always present in my marriage, right? I'm always there. I'm always in love. It's always just like we're under the chuppah, right? It's, it's one long heart. Yeah, keep saying it, keep saying it. And if you say it enough, maybe you'll believe it. But we all know deep down it's not true. Sometimes you're more in love. Sometimes you're less in love. Sometimes you're more engaged. Sometimes you're less engaged. Sometimes you're more present. Sometimes you're less. But the ikr is you got to keep showing up. Because the moment you stop showing up, the moment you stop being present is the moment the relationship begins to fray. Every relationship has moments of greater and lesser engagement. But the power of tefillah, as I say, no matter how I'm feeling, shachris, mincha, mairif, I'm here. I'm showing up. But yet again, the Gemara says on a, on, a, on a more purist level, the Gemara says, you know, if you're not taking three steps back and you're not pausing and you're not giving shalom, then you don't understand what you're doing. And if you don't really understand what you're doing by, by living, by dialoguing in the presence of the king, then at the end of the day, better not to dive in at all. So that, that is a more, it's beautiful and more of a purist approach. Incredible. They will say, when giving shalom, meaning at the end of Shemona Esrei, first you do shalom to the right, and then to the left. Because the Pasuk says, literally again from his right hand, he gave a fiery Torah. The Pasuk says that literally a thousand, a thousand will fall to your side, and tens of thousands to your right. My Vomer, so what does it mean? Well, maybe you'll say when you hand something, it's just normal to hand to the right. But when it comes to the Shemona Esrei and the Shemona Esrei, maybe you don't give Shalom to the right first. So we'll say, watch this. So we'll say, Rava once observed Abaye davening Shemona Esrei. Davening Shemona Esrei. And what happened? And what happened? So the Gimara says, and Abaye, when he, so Abaye, when he was davening Shmona Esrei, right? Abaye was davening When he finished, he did Osa Shalom to the right. He's right. He did Osa Shalom to his right. Amr Aleyhi said, Ni Sabbis Liyamin Didach. No, no, no. 
it's not your right that you start with. Rather, it's l'smol didach amina dehavi yeminu shalakadish baruchu. When you conclude Shemona and you give shalom, you give shalom ultimately again to your left first, which is Hakadosh Baruch Hu's right, right? So it's Ose Shalom to my left first. That's Hakadosh Baruch Hu's right. Am Rav Chibre Dravuna Chazina Lehu LaAbayi Beraba the Pasul Shalosh Pesias Kriach. So say, by the way, that indeed is the halacha, right? That indeed is that when, when we conclude Shemona Esrei, we do Ose Shalom to our left first, which is Hakadosh Baruch Hu's right. Then we go to our right, which is Hakadosh Baruch Hu's left, and then I go, I bow, I bow forward. Right? The Pasul Gemara just ends off by saying. Furthermore, again, Furthermore, again, Abaye and Rava, when they would take their three steps back, Rabbi will say they would take it in a bowed fashion. So Rabbi will say ultimately, again, they would go ahead and they would go ahead and I will say, and this is codified in as well. When you take your three steps back, you take it in a bowed posture. Incredible. So we'll say, so remember again, the Mishnah said, there's so much to say on these Gemaras, but um, we'll, have, we'll be starting at 4.30 in the morning before you know it, if I don't uh, cover some ground. So the Gemara says as follows. So my master, remember again, the Mishnah said, it was a joke. The Gemara says that, that what happens, he would daven a tefillah kitzar, the Kohen Gadol would daven a short tefillah in the Heichal, in the Beis HaMikdash. So my matzli, so we'll say, what was the tefillah? What, right, all the Mishnah says is that the Kohen Gadol daven the short tefillah, but it doesn't say what the tefillah was. So we'll say, this is incredible. My matli, Rav Barav Ada, Varavin Barav Ada, Tarvayu Mishmei Durav Amri, Yehiratzim Lofanach HaShom Alokeinu, listen to the tefillah, Shetei Shona Zug Gishuma Ushchuna, this year should be rainy and hot. So the Gemara says, Shchuna Mal Yusi, you want the year to be hot? So the Gemara says, Ela Ema Im Shchuna Te Gishuma. And then I will say with the tefillah was like this, if the year is going to be hot, it should be rainy. That was the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol, right? So we'll say, they added in a little bit more, the monarchy should not leave Yehuda, right? The scepter of rulership should not leave Yehuda. And ultimately, again, the people should not have to rely on each other for parnasah. And the tefillahs of the travelers, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, should not enter in before you. So we'll say, if we bring this all together, the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol is as Number one, if it's going to be a hot year, it should be a rainy year. Right? Number two, Number two, monarchy should not go ahead and pass from Yehuda. Number three, your nation of Am Yisrael should not require each other in the realm of Parnasa. And ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch you should not listen to the tefillos of the Ovejrachim of the travelers. So we'll discuss each of these parts. But what I do want to point out to you is something amazing. That the bulk of the tefillah is dedicated to what? Dedicated to what? Parnasa. Parnasa. We'll say such an interesting thing. You would think that the Kohen Gadol would be in remote, uh, both say, interested in what's, fun, what, what's notably missing from here. Any tefillahs regarding what? Ruchnius. Right? Kohen Gadol doesn't have, and they should be tzaddikim, they should be yirei shamayim, they should be tamidei chachamim. But say, it's a very profound idea. Because at the end of the day, the Kohen Gadol understood. If there's not parnasa, if there's not parnasa, where there's no gashmius, it's very hard to find ruchnius. Imein kemach, Ain Torah, 
at the end of the day, people are people. While there are some people, while there are some people who could totally divorce themselves from their material needs and solely and totally focus on spirituality, 99% of people are not like that. I need to know that I can pay my bills before I can focus on my learning. And I need to know that I can support my family before I can focus on my neshama. And I need to know that ultimately my parnosis settled at least to some degree before I could work on my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now obviously a lot of times these things come together. I could do these things simultaneously. But the Kohen Gadol says, give them parnosa. Give them parnosa. Because if their parnosa is taken care of, then in Mirat Hashem they will be able to dedicate and devote themselves to Ruchni matters. Incredible. So we'll say, let's talk about this last part. So I understand the other parts also, that the scepter of rulership should not leave Yehuda, the monarchy should stay with Yehuda, that I understand also, people should not need to rely on each other for Parnassah, that's also Parnassah. What about this last piece, that the tefillahs of the Ovrej Rachim, the tefillahs of the travelers, should not be heard by you. So we'll say, listen to this story. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa ba'archa. Ba'archa. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was also traveling on the road. Shada mitra alei. And it began to rain. We'll say, get ready for this. Amari bono shal olam kala olam kula benachas v'chanina b'tzar. Hanina ben Dosa said, Rabbi Hashbaruch the entire world is comfortable. They're all indoors and dry. And me, I'm b'tzar. Pasuk mitra. The rain stopped. The rain stopped. Ki asal abeisin. Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa came home. What happened? Amri Bosham kala olam kula b'tzar. The Chanina ben Achos. Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa said, "Ribonosholam." Now everybody's b'tzar. The farmer need they need rain for the crops. We need rain for the wells. And me, I'm comfortable. Asamitra. It began to rain. So Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef said, "My ahan yelait silusi di koin gadol gar Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa." Tell me what good is the tefillah of the Kohen Gadol when it comes to Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Right? Because let's remember again, what did I, let's, let's, and I'll conclude with this. What did the Kohen Gadol say? That the tefillahs of the Ovre Drachim should not enter in before you. You shouldn't listen to the tefillahs of the Ovre Drachim. So it says the tefillahs of the Drachim. Who are the Ovre Drachim? They were the travelers. The travelers. And we'll say, well, if you're, if you're traveling, think about this, you're traveling by foot, what's the one thing you daven for? What thing you daven for? No rain. So the Kohen Gadol says, Ribono Shalom, Ribono Shalom, we need rain. We need rain. Remember, this is Yom Kippur. When does the rainy season start? Technically, when does the rainy season start? Sukkis. Okay, we don't dive in for it until the end of Sukkis. But at the end of Sukkis, you'd have thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of pilgrims, of Ovi Regal, making their way home. And what is everyone davening for in Isruchag? Everyone's davening for the same thing, which is, which is... No rain until we get home. And the Kohen Gadol says, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Because Kali's, they're going to get soaked, they'll get soaked. They're going to get muddy, they'll get muddy. But Kali's, so these are, so much sorry, Salavichik comments on this. We have to end. But Salavichik says, Dr. Zin, give me literally 30 seconds. Right? And then, right, so, so, so right, the, 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 Rabbi Salavichik says something amazing. He says, at the end of the day, you see from here the power of tefillah and the power of heartfelt, sincere prayer. Who are the Ovrei Drachim? They were the simple men, women, and children who had to get home. But you know, when you have to travel home and you're outdoors and you have a couple of days journey, you daven for no rain, pretty sincerely. I, I don't want to get soaked. I don't want to get muddy. I don't want to get sick. I don't want my stuff to get ruined. I will say sometimes the most powerful prayers are not the prayers that come from righteous Tamidi Chachamim. They're the simple, genuine prayers that come from a simple, 
genuine heart. Those are the most effective, powerful tilos, to the point that the Kain Gadol has to say to Yibon Shalom, this is going to sound very strange, don't listen to their tilos. Don't listen to those prayers, because Klaus Yisrael requires it. We're also about to stop over here. We are going to start the Mirat Hashem again tomorrow morning at 5.45. The Mirat Hashem in an effort to finish the daf.